At Motivation, our vision is to create a place where transformation is a positive personal and social experience brought to life through movement and community. Through connectivism, we can share knowledge and make system level changes. Thank you for connecting and joining us today. We will be wrapping up this episode with questions from our group. Stay tuned. Welcome to this week's edition of the Motivation Station. Our guest this week is Mike Qualia. Mike is likely best known in the Parkinson's community for hosting Parkinson's-related podcasts, but he's also a fierce advocate for exercise. He's a Boston Marathon finisher and has completed a, competed in multiple CrossFit Opens, just to name a few. Let's welcome Mike to the other side of the podcast microphone. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thanks, guys. As I said, I'm used to being on your side of the table, so it's going to be different. <laughs> we'll, we'll make it uh, fun. So so maybe for uh, a, a, an introduction, tell us about Mike Qualia, or Mike Q, as you're lovingly known here. Uh, what, what was Mike Q like before Parkinson's? Before Parkinson's, I was a go-getter. I was doing very well in business and sales for a staffing firm. It's making some decent money. Then I get diagnosed with Parkinson's at 42, and I was really moving up in my career. So so tell us about your family life. Family life, I have a beautiful wife named Donna, a beautiful daughter named Carissa. They've been, they've been with me the whole way. It's a great family, and I, I love them to death. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you recently had a change in uh, status, didn't you? Grand, grandchild? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a grandchild. That and confusion happens when you become a grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a beautiful baby boy. I mean, I can't, I haven't seen him over a week because it's damn cold that I've got now. So so tell tell us maybe just quickly what that's like. Uh, dealing with a chronic condition on top of uh, another uh, viral infection. It's not fun. <laughs> I mean, I can feel myself shaking internally with this whole mess right now. <clears throat> My balance is a little off because of the cold and everything else, too. It's not too fun, but I'll be fine. Is there any special uh, advice you got from the doctors? I haven't seen him. It's just cold. Uh, good cold, but I haven't seen him. Um, I'm laughing at Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just laughing. So I, I just woke up like maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes ago. So I'm still in that like goofy morning phase. I'm sorry. <laughs> Right. I'm looking at I'm looking at Mike's eyes. Not only are you dealing dealing with the cold, but you've got pink eye at the same time. We brought you in here on this uh, on this conversation, and you're in rough shape, my friend. Thanks for joining. I'm not, not stoned, everybody. I'm not stoned. Just by red eyes. I cannot claim the same. But Ned, continue on. Um, maybe maybe we'll, we'll switch gears here a little bit. Um, maybe talk about your diagnosis story. Uh, what what was that like being told those uh, four words that we've all we've all heard? My story is I was forty two years old, doing well in the company I worked with, and I went to one neurologist and he couldn't find anything wrong. I was referred to another di- another neurologist in Fall River. This guy, he, I asked him, 
You told me straight out that I have Parkinson's disease after having walking down the aisle, tying my shoes, or things like that. Then he, he, he told me Parkinson's. I looked at him and I said, I can't believe it. And I said, what's what it going to be like in 10 years? He tells me that I'm in 10 years, I'm going to be 10 times worse than I am today. That wasn't very hopeful. So from there, I went to Boston. I found a good neurologist in Boston. And I called them. They couldn't get me in for six months. So I sourced out his email, hit him directly. And he had me in there within two weeks. And I saw him. He told me, he told me there's hope. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. I bet people 15 years into the disease, can't even tell they have it. That guy was very helpful. And Dr. David Simon is in Beth Israel in Boston. So, Mike, you, you said that you you didn't like your first neurologist, so you emailed another one? You sent an email directly to a neurologist? That seems a little odd, but is that is that a way to maybe get a hold of somebody and get in sooner like it did it worked apparently you got in two weeks later it seems odd to to email a, a doctor direct but it, it worked like that's very brazen i was in sales and in, in uh, staffing so i understood how to be brazen that was part of my nature then oh, <clears throat> one of the things that i found in, in my journey was acceptance was a big thing can you talk about what things were like pre-acceptance and, and and then what that acceptance journey was like for you acceptance acceptance is a road you need to keep accepting 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 because the symptoms change so many times for the cause of the disease i used to panic every time i felt something new i still panic a little bit now and then but comes the disease too. I panicked, then I accepted again, then I panicked, accepted again, panicked, accepted again. It's a constant battle. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. How would you say your definition of acceptance has changed over the years? Acceptance is knowing you have the disease and it's not you're not gonna you're not, you're not gonna beat it. It's beating everybody. You're not going to beat it, but you can slow it down. It's why I exercise so hard. Yes. Uh, speaking of exercise, who who would you say has had the most impact on your activity level? I'm going to say the name of everyone else is Jimmy Choi. Huh. Ned, also you, because when you ran that when you ran the five k, you did like an eight minutes a mile. That was impressive. Thank you. Um, but you you have an uh, accomplishment under your belt that many people only dream of. That was a Boston Marathon finisher. It was 2019, right? Yeah. What was that like? Well, before that, me and my wife were having troubles because we weren't communicating anymore. And one night I said, let's run the marathon. She was all for it because she was a runner to begin with. I wasn't. It was great to reconnect with my wife again, just running three days a week, four days a week. And finishing the marathon was a surreal. I didn't finish first, but I didn't finish last either, so. Motivation would like to say thank you to the Kirk Gibson Foundation for their funding of our latest Brain Blast team. 
Multiple members of this team have continued training and will have a great effect on the Parkinson's community thanks to your input. Thank you to the Kirk Gibson Foundation. I remember watching your finish video and it may be one of the most moving moments in, in sport I've ever seen. Uh, maybe can, can you describe what your gait looked like? Let me see. You ever see those birds when they're pecking at the water? Yeah. It's like I was pecking at the water, but my face was stuck in the water. I was bent over from the waist because of my dog said it was, um, what's it called? I can't think of what it's called right now. Parkinson's brain right now. Either way, I was bent over from the waist and I could have fallen face forward. I could have face planted if I let it go, but I didn't let it go. Kept moving forward and got it done. Yeah, Darby just uh, texted in with uh, what I was thinking. Is it called Camp Tecormia? I'm not sure what that is, actually. Uh, it, it's a condition where you're almost bent over at 90 degrees. was like that because it, it happened during when I was training for it as well. After like three or four miles, it start bending over like that, and it was hard to control. Was it that way uh, on the day of the marathon? Um, yes. In terms of you, you competed the first few miles with no uh, uh, bent over situation and then and then it, it kind of increased over time yes it did because i had like seven or eight cops that asked if i was okay because they saw me bent over and almost crashing a few times they asked me if i was okay i said yeah i'm fine or if he has parkinson's they went oh, okay that's that's what i was going to ask is how how do you stay on course crossfit has really helped me get strength in my core Every exercise they do works on the core, it seems. So it's really helped me balance out a lot more. Hey, Mike, Jim from Chicago here. I wonder hey, if you, you mentioned that, uh, how you doing, buddy? Good. Um, you mentioned that uh, you, your wife and, and your relationship was strained a little bit, and then that you know, the whole experience with the marathon kind of helped you guys out. I wonder if you can expound on the importance of that having a good relationship with your wife, having that mutual trust and and accepting the disease and and kind of working together as as, as true life partners and, and how that helped you and well both neither of us had accepted the disease. Neither, neither I never did for the first ten years. And she didn't either. And in fact we stopped communicating about it, which was a big mistake. Huge mistake. But Went from, yeah, I guess I guess I could I couldn't agree with you more. You know, looking back at my own experiences and and and, and difficulties, and I guess, and that's a big problem that people don't usually take into account or, or plan for. Is and you said accepting the disease, and and you can you need both spouses to buy in on that. Yes, for sure, it's huge. Otherwise, it's going to lend you some trouble down the road if you don't. Yeah. So it's kind of like screwing something. Well, I... We're talking about Jim. Go ahead, but Jim. It's the Down and Dirty podcast. <laughs> well, it's like when, whenever 
a problem presents itself or a mistake happens in your life or a challenge and you just, it never just goes away. No, it compounds on itself and it gets worse yeah. and worse and worse. It's, it's like telling a lie or misrepresenting something and, and telling another lie to cover the first lie and, 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 and so on and so on. And pretty soon it gets out of control and then your life is miserable. So I'll say to you and anybody else that's, that has, and Nate, I don't want to speak out of school, but I know Nate's going through his own issues with his spouse. And I guess to leave that issue unresolved and to think it's just going to correct itself and, and that you're going to live happily ever after and you make that promise to your spouse, I'm going to stick with you for better or for worse. Sometimes when the going gets tough, some people just, they up and leave and abandon you. Other people you know, kind of dig their heels in and, and say, okay, I, I married this person because I love them. I'm going to stick with them and help them navigate. You know, we're, we're a team together, which which is the result that you hope you have and the person that you hope that you've married. But sometimes you don't get that all figured out until you, know, you face a little adversity. I don't want to dominate the conversation, but I think you've touched on an immensely important point that Parkinson's is it shouldn't be faced alone no it shouldn't be and thank God we just we worked it out because I don't know where it'd be without her now yeah so I guess if you get uh, on, on, on how having a true life partner has helped you and how yeah. that could sort of benefit others that are because you know, most people are at least in some type of relationship when when they get diagnosed and it puts strain on it. Nobody wants to be a burden. If you could maybe touch on a little bit of that and what's worked for you, maybe mistakes that you have made but uh, have been able to overcome. And and I think you touched on a, on a great word is acceptance. It says, you know, Muhammad Ali didn't beat the disease. Everybody's probably seen the new Michael J. Fox video um, documentary and and he's finally admitting to himself that Parkinson's is winning I saw in a headline the other day and so really kind of share your experiences and how you've kind of been, been able to embrace the disease and, and, and simply do the best you can and accept the fact that ultimately it is going to win but you still have a lot of quality years left it what? lost quality. It's been so good. Nate, Nate, you just had something. Yeah, what what does that look like to you? What, to to me, when people say Parkinson's is going to win, I, I don't know about that. I think that, you know, yeah, we're going to live with it until we die. But if, if we lead a well life in spite of Parkinson's, I think that that's the way of beating it in, in my mind. What do you think, Mike? It's good to say that. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can edit that out, right? <laughs> I I can, but I might not. I, this is this is your show, and this is you. So just be yourself, and don't worry about it. All right. Well, where were we? I forgot. <laughs> Parkinson's wins, and then when I say win, I mean it. Ultimately, it presents all these physical challenges that, uh, and I, I don't want to take this to too dark a place, but uh, you know. When you first get diagnosed, everybody always says Parkinson's doesn't kill you. And well, that drives me nuts, right there. Oh, you hit on the soil subject for me. 
Yeah, and it's it's and really to me that's the biggest line of fucking bullshit that I, uh, you know Parkinson's to me and this is I don't want to go go too dark and too deep, but uh, you know Parkinson's weakens you to the state where something some pansy ass disease like sepsis or pneumonia takes you out. Yeah, um, Jim, it's it's like uh, he didn't die in the car crash. He died from blunt force trauma. <laughs> look at, yeah. I mean, look at yeah. COVID. Did the same thing with COVID, but people who died, they died of COVID as opposed to just dying of Parkinson's. They died, keep saying you died with Parkinson's. I think it makes it a weak statement now. It makes it like it's not that bad. It is bad. It, look yeah. at John Humphreys, for example. Recently, John Humphreys died of pneumonia. But it boxes that got him though. Yeah, and then you you balance. I mean, I see with Michael J. Fox, and and he's struggling tremendously with his balance. Balance issues lead to falls. Falls lead to inability to exercise because you're recovering, and all that just becomes just one death spiral of 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 downward progression that ultimately leads to your demise. Now, Nate did also correctly state that Parkinson's doesn't necessarily win, but once again, just if you can expand a little bit more on, on embracing it and living with it. And I think that's, I guess that's the main point that I would, I would like to drive <laughs> home and, 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 and how you've been able to kind of accomplish that and embrace it and live with it and accept the challenges and, and just, you do the best you can. I mean, you're not competing with Jimmy Choi, me, or Bill Bucklew, or anybody. It's you and Parkinson's, and you're doing the best you can. I know you're good friends with uh, Mike Asian, and, 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 and Mike had this great approach that I thought was just brilliant. As you approach every week as, you know, kind of a, you know, a, a win or a loss. You got seven days, which is good. It's an odd number of days, and It'd be great to go seven and zero every week, but that's probably not realistic. So you try and get at least four good days, hopefully five, maybe even six, and maybe even seven some days. But sometimes you, you know, you 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 lose a couple times. You're not going to be perfect. So and I'm I'm going to shut up. But uh, you've been an inspiration to me. Thanks, Jim. Hey, you know, a lot of people and just share your experience and share your story, buddy. That's all we need you to do. Thanks, Jim. <clears throat> Hope the way I attack boxing by challenging myself. First was getting a Rock City boxing going. Got that going. Got built over 100 members. And I walked away from that for personal reasons. Then uh, I challenged myself with a marathon. Then I challenged myself with rowing a million meters for a year. Look at my next challenge now. I haven't figured it out yet. And I make it public to make myself really come through with it. Your next challenge is teaching me how to be a podcast interviewer. How <laughs> do you can teach me now, Nate? Oh, geez. Ned, this is this is a great conversation that we're having here with him. Um, I know Trent had had a question, and uh, we we've had a couple other people that are chiming in there. So, guys, feel free if if you've got something, just raise your hand and and jump in. Trent, hey Mike, when when you, you use words like uh, CrossFit, that's not those usually aren't the words of someone who's kind of laying down, and 
it's that's that's about as extreme as, as it gets. And I just I just curious whether you went from sort of denial to acceptance. You must have had a stage in between where you thought you could keep it keep the curve at least flat, maybe not beating it, but maintaining maintaining it. Did you I, did you go through a period like like that before you flipped well, over? I think I think everybody does that because I was so into Rock City boxing when I had that thing going. I'm sorry, I just laughed at something Dobby just put out there. <laughs> what was I saying? <laughs> you threw me off, Dobby. Rock City boxing. You yeah, I was going to go attacking Rock City boxing. I could move well, I could hit the back well, I could, I could hit the speed back well. And I swear, I really thought I was going to beat it then. I really did. But that's why you sneak it up on you every six months or so. You feel something new pop up. This is the Motivation Station. Thank you for tuning in. Talk about the CrossFit gym where you, you work out. Um, my understanding is it, it's not a typical gym. No, the owner... Actually, he had his arm blown off in the Iraqi and Afghanistan war. And he's actually won the depth division nationally before. Wow. Good guy. He's a good guy for me because he know, understands he had TBI as well. And he understands what's going on in my head sometimes because I don't think I can do things and he gets me to do them right. People there all support me. Been a great experience. I'm the only one there with Parkinson's, but it's been a great experience getting to know those people. Everyone there, it's a supportive environment. Great people. Now you've competed in the adaptive open as well, correct? Yes, I did. And, and what was that experience like? Uh, first year it sucked because I didn't do that well. <laughs> but second year I did quite well, I finished 23rd in the world. I was very happy with that, but I was really in really good shape. And to see, I was way back down on the list again. But either way, it's a lot of fun every year. You can get excited for it, challenge yourself to make the move and do well. Hope you move up. But it's been 17 years, and I can't expect to move up every year. Russ, did you have a question? Or Yeah, um, you know, we talk about a lot what we do to fight Parkinson's, like exercise and that type of thing. Um, but also going on is uh, you have a life. You know, there's that John Lennon song where they said uh, – Life happens to you when you make another plan. So what do you do? You know, like you have all you have all these other responsibilities, friends, family, hobbies you did before. How do you how do you manage, you know, trying to do all that when, you know, you, you get like things like Parkinson's off time that interferes with your number of quality hours you have during the day and all that? Actually, my my off hours aren't really that bad anymore since I had DBS. I bounce a little off and uh I'm bouncing a little off now, but my voice is troubled, but my voice is working today, so it's a good day. My off times usually come when my voice isn't working. There's always something to do, though. Always. I mean, I spend time with my wife every night. I see my daughter and the baby every weekend. My wife likes to bribe her with food, so we can definitely go over and see the baby. And they jump at the food every time. Kim, did you have a question? I was actually going to comment on your on your voice, Mike, and say it sounds really good today, and we hadn't addressed that yet, and and so I was 
hoping that you might talk a little bit about that struggle and what that's been like for you. Well, I've been diagnosed with spasmodic dysphonia. Same thing as Robert F. Kennedy, if you listen to him. You get spasmodic dysphonia as well. But I have a special version because I was with Parkinson's disease. So spasmodic dysphonia tightens your throat when you try to talk. I'm tight right now. And Parkinson's makes you slur and talk slow. So you get to the point where basically nobody can understand what I was saying. That's when I just need to come on board with the help of the podcast. And it stinks and nobody nobody can understand you. You try to join conversations, you had a good joke to throw out there, somebody can get out there and everyone says, What? I think I hear what more than the word in the world now. What does it sound like to you, Mike? My yeah. voice? Yeah. In my head, everything's nice and clear, but when I try to talk, get out, it tightens up, and uh, from there I can lose thought quickly because I'm always catching up with my voice to the brain. The brain works fast, but the voice works slow. Tough, tough combination, but I'm getting through it. I I know you've had Botox injections to to help. Um, I know. Personally, I would be scared to death to let somebody stick a needle in my neck. Maybe talk about how you got through that or tell me it's not that bad or, you know. No, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> but you deal with it. It helps you talk. You know, it makes you feel, don't feel better and you got to do it. It's like anybody yeah. who takes this needle to their foot because their foot has the stone or there are other hands. So, so when, <clears throat> how many weeks ago was your last, <clears throat> excuse me, your last injection? About six weeks ago now. And how long before your next? Another six weeks, every three months. Every three months. And how, how long have you been doing that? I stopped for a while because, I've been there for a couple of years now, but I stopped for a while because I have Parkinson's along with spasmodic dysphonia, which, which means when they inject my throat with, with Botox. It soothes my throat where food or water can easily get on the wrong pipe. Mm. Do you have any scary moments with that? Many. <clears throat> Start choking on water. <clears throat> Start choking on your water, coffee, anything that you drink. Just choke on it. Choke on food. But mm-hmm. you deal with it like everything else. I'm starting with that a little too. With the swallowing. Yeah. Are there other therapies you can do? Speech therapy or vocal exercises? Uh... My voice is strong when it's working right. So, no. I've tried them. They don't work. Hmm. Maybe. Swallowing exercises. But, yeah, I don't know about if the voice exercises help that much. My voice tightens up. That's why. You look at the vocal box. It just... Squeezes in like that when you're trying to talk. Good times. You touched a little bit on the emotional side of these symptoms. What was that like being a podcast host? You mentioned you you brought Nate in to to help out. That had to have been a tough time for you. Well, it's tough because Nate was so damn good at it. I felt felt jealous a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) He's really good at it. He does a great job. 
Um, w- when did you start the two mics? Started in 2016. My occasion was hysterical back in that when you could talk. Yeah. What What was the um, genesis of, of of two mics? Let me see. I was interviewed by Jimmy Smith on Radio Park. It's about my Parkinson's, and I loved what he did. And I tried to him and said, Jimmy, I can get people for you if you want. I know a lot of people out there. He said, no, Mike, I'm going to make you a DJ. I said, no. <laughs> he kept persisting, so I gave it a shot. And the rest is history. Do you have any idea how many interviews you did? About 107, 180 around there at this point. Maybe tell us about one or two of them that were particularly memorable. They're all memorable. They're all I can't. Heather Kennedy was the first one that I talked like the third person that I ever talked to, interviewed. Her interviewed her interview helped me work through some issues I was having with acceptance of acceptance and also shut my thought process. Thought process I used to think of things and it would affect me so much. I would panic and go down the hill. But she helped me accept it. It's just a thought. Throw it away. It's not no big deal. Mike, um, you, throughout the podcasts that we've done, we've had several people comment that you've been an inspiration to them. And as you talk about Heather and, and the interview that you had with her and, and the things that she did to maybe help help you move forward, uh, what are some things that I'm going to ask you to not be humble here because you're a really humble guy and you wouldn't talk about these things unless you were pressed to do so. So what are the things that you do to help people through through things and to be inspirational to so many people? Start of the Rock City Boxing I told people that they can attack this rock, they can attack this disease by physical exercise. I decided to do the marathon and that inspired a few people to in the show. I hate talking about myself. I know it's you do. A, it's, not a, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's saying the show is about community. Right. And that's, um. so I haven't known you that long, actually. And I didn't even know you did the marathon and, and these other physical accomplishments that, that you've completed. Uh, the people that I hear talk about you being inspirational. I'm not sure it's because you started Rocksteady Boxing or did a marathon. I think there's something else there. I think it's really more to the core of who you are and that contributing to that community that you talk about. And you're just a core piece of that. I just try to be, I try to be honest. I try to be honest with everybody what's going on with me. So everyone else can hear it and say, I know that too. I can get through it too. Yeah. Honest with people. I, to me, Mike, you live by example. That's what I, that's what I wanted to do. And it's, there's been a few times I felt like quitting the show because it's getting too much. It seemed like every time I felt like quitting the show, I get a nice message from somebody about how the show inspired them to do this, do that. Every time. It's, I'm not that religious, but it's got to be something above it to help that does that make sure I keep going with it. Yeah, I, I think for people that haven't hosted a podcast before, you have no idea how much more work it is than the hour of the interview. And Mike, I can't imagine how many hours over the years you you put into that for the community. And I I just want to say thank you for that. I do it for myself too, Ned, because 
talking to people helps me throw what's that what's going on in my head too yeah they really help me people i talk to every single one has helped me so i try to spread out the world and well, Mike, I, I wanted to add something really quick. Um, I think it was probably back in 2017 or 2018 that you contacted me to be on your show. And this was when I was just getting started working with, with the Parkinson's community. And I remember thinking, okay, this guy in Boston is calling me in Las Vegas. Like, why does he want to hear from me? You know, and it was just really, it was a really flattering moment that that you reached out to me to, to speak about the work that I was doing. And I, you know, I look back on that and here we are now, how many years later all together as this community, which is really, really something special. So thank you for, for wanting to hear about the work I was doing. Christian Bannon talks so highly of you. It's like, it was a no brainer for me. And it's, I remember that you don't like cats. Did I really talk about not liking cats? Oh my you gosh. Did, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny you did a lot of CTE work back then too didn't you a lot of what work CTE the concussion CTE oh okay yes Thank I was you, working man. yes I was dabbling I was doing some dabbling within the the like mild traumatic brain injury um, community which I still work with a couple people still to this day from back then when we were speaking and you're always good at deciphering for me <laughs> I got I got hired to do one job, Mike. <laughs> but that that's uh it, it's probably one of the most humbling things in my life when you came to me and asked me to to help you with with the podcast. Um and it it's it's a huge opportunity that I'm very thankful for. But in in the conversations we've had since I started, I've learned a lot, but they've been very interesting. I'm I want to know we've already asked you you know what your favorite was or whatnot but what's just the most interesting person that you've ever talked to like who caught your interest more than anybody else to learn more about motivation foundation visit motivationfoundation.org again motivationfoundation.org thank you for tuning in it's a good question let me think about that one. Um, maybe uh, Mr. Tuttle. We just talked to him. That was one of the most interesting conversations I've had. That was that was a good interview. You did great in that one. It was awesome. Great interview. Brian Grant was a lot of fun. I was always a big sports guy, and when we talked with Brian, he read his book all the way through, studied the book, and really hit him on the people in his life. And Brian was an interesting guy. He actually called me after that. I'm like Brian Grant's calling. <laughs> but he was such a good guy and so humble and so normal. It was great talking to Brian. Do you find that most people are just normal folks? Because you, you talk to some high profile people and uh, I think the common folks are like, they're inaccessible. They're above me. But then when you start talking to them, they ain't above nothing. They're the same as me. They're the exact same exactly. human as me. Exactly. That's it. I mean, in sales, they always want to you know be a clown on a pedestal. You got to be eye to eye with them. They stay with people from MIT, some geniuses out there. But you know what? They were nerds, and I was a cool guy. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> go, Mike. But it was a lot of was, I used to deal with some very intelligent people, and I'm just a regular guy. It was so much fun getting to know them and 
I took a couple guys to a baseball game once. They're both from MIT, and they talk about the circumference of the ball, how fast you can get out of there. And I'm like, I knocked it off. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. hey, hey, Mike, I, I think that just with the nature of, of PD is that, you know, we as we as PWPs are, are are not able to depend on the medical community the same way a lot of other diseases do, and I think that your role as a facilitator and a cherry picker of what's out there that's relevant and new and interesting and different uh, is, is indicative of sort of the the people the P with P's rising up and. Know, representing themselves and taking care of each other, and I think that you're you're a, one of the best examples of how people in our our community take care of each other and decide what's important and and get it out there. So that power of facilitation, I think, is is a huge huge skill and to be the arbiter of what's important and what and what's current. And the the other. Yesterday, I was on with a voice coach, and uh, she said, "I can't hear you." She said, "You should get you should get a microphone." And I held up the microphone, which I actually don't have hooked up this morning. She said, "I want you to get up to fifty decibels," and I said, "I'm I'm talking to you right now at seventy, but I'll take it up to seventy-five if you want." And and then she proceeded to tell me that she had a hearing problem. <laughs> <I'm coming. Yeah. laughs> <laughs> so you can't you can't make you can't make this shit up. <laughs> and just and just as just as one one tip on the choking, which I was in emergency, I had a piece of steak stuck in my throat for an hour and a half, and I went to the ER in Whistler, north of Vancouver, to the ER, and she said, "What's what's your problem?" She says, go down to the corner store to get a regular Coke and gargle with it. They'll take care of it in five minutes. Sure enough. So I've got a regular, I actually have Mexican Coke, which is high tested in my refrigerator. Mexican Coke? Like yeah, it's the most potent. Mm -hmm. and you, just, you gargle with that, guaranteed to get anything you're choking on. It has yeah. regular sugar tone. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Mike, and your joke did not go unnoticed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so so Mike, we we talked a little bit about you uh, having inspirational impact on on the community. In in one way, you may not be aware of. You inspired me. Was you were one of the first people I talked to with DBS, and it's been years ago now, probably 2016, 2017, when we had that first conversation. And I, I guess, I, A, I want to say thanks for, again, living by example and, and being open about uh, your DBS. Can you talk a little bit about that decision process for you and what results you had from, from DBS? Sure. What's Jim doing up there? I don't know. But I was um, DBS. I talked to my doctor about it. I used to have really bad dyskinesia. I used to be all over the place. And he told me, he told me it's time for me to think about DBS. I researched it, looked at it, made a date, 
Then the first time I first time I bailed on it because I get I get spooked out last minute. So then I kept getting worse. Kept horrible dyskinesia, better than not really working anymore. Then my doctor said it's gonna help your on time tremendously. So I talked to the doctor, actually the surgeon, and this guy was so cocky. But I like cocky surgeon though, because it's confidence. Yeah. I asked him, how many have you done? And he goes, I stopped counting after a thousand. <laughs> Let's talk about his her his his success rate was like ninety-nine point seven ridiculously high. And I said, this is the guy. So he did it. Put the halo on everything. Had him was awake through the whole thing. Like Frankenstein, but cut through it. And the success was no more dyskinesia. I went from 16 pills a day down to two or three. And how long did you hold that? Are you are you still on two or three pills? Yes, I am. And, and how many years has it been? Seven. Right. And the uh, the sixty four thousand dollar question: Would you do it all over again? In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. You know, it's something I I recently <clears throat> learned in one of my programming sessions is is your experience of being able to cut the meds back and hold them at that level is not unusual. And, and, and what I'm saying is, you know, I had put on to that process what I had seen with my carbidopa levodopa intake, where almost every six months or a year, I was having to adjust that dosage and continually yep. increase it. Um, it. Have your settings on the DBS remained about the same? No, I had to, those have moved up quite a bit. I started out at 1.7, and 3.1, and now at 2.3. Six and three point seven now. Okay, but they go up. I can go a lot higher than that if I have to. Yeah, that that's it's uh, very encouraging for somebody who's only six months in, six eight months into their DBS journey to hear. How's your settings taking place, Ned? How's uh, right, going? Uh, right now, I'm at, I'm at about three on each side. Is it? Are you? How's your gait? I mean, my gait wasn't as good afterwards, and uh, I had a little delay. Yeah. I had a little delay in the brain when I wanted to do something. I yeah, think, think my my gait, I I believe, has some impact. I've been very fortunate to know Darby, and she's given me some good strategies to help with that. I'm not a hundred percent comfortable yet, but I'm getting there. Good, good to hear. Yeah. How are you, Kim? How's yours? Uh, my gait is good. My fine motor skills are much better. My uh, neurologist told me she wouldn't be able to diagnose me with Parkinson's right now based on the regular tests that we have, which is great. I still though have some, uh, I still have more up and down on and off time than I would like. I, my meds have been cut in half, uh, but I still get slowness in my left side and as they're wearing off. Uh, which I'm disappointed in, but apparently that's a miraculous result. So I need to suck it up and <laughs> be thankful. Yeah, so you still have the disease. People, people going and thinking they're going to feel normal again. The right. You feel fine. Yeah. 
But you still have the disease. How about you, Jim? Yeah. Jim Krager. I think he's Jim? on the move. I think he's, he is. He's heading to the post office, taking care of business. I had to laugh earlier, Ned, when you said about the Botox in the throat. Mike, yeah. that involves getting a needle in your throat. I can't even imagine that. That sounds terrible. Yet you just had your head sliced open and, and some leads put in there. Yeah, and... this thing in that. <laughs> that wasn't funny, either, but I get that's it wasn't as bad as you think it's going to be because you have no pain receptors in the brain. At least I don't. <laughs> I, I don't think you're unusual there, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad, but it's one time me and Mike, we did a skit with the show. We had live DBS and, and Dr. Fulton and Mike, Dr. Dr. Howard, Dr. Fine, Dr. Howard, three studios. <laughs> the funniest bit we ever did, it was hysterical. Mike was on the table as young Frankenstein. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was a fun skit. <laughs> Play one of these days again. Well, all you people who had DBS are very courageous and blazing the trail for other people who haven't had it yet and considering, you know, certainly, say, you know, every time you see an example and people share it, and the more confident you say, okay, that could be an option for me. So that's great. And I also appreciate your your honesty, Mike. And that's something I'm working on. I'm like a happy-go-lucky, you know, optimistic guy, which is good, you know. And a lot of a lot of us all are like that. But um, I, you know, I think I do a disservice to the Parkinson's community if I don't say enough about the struggles too. And I appreciate that, you know, hearing that from people who do that. So you're an inspiration to me there, and I'm, I'm I'm working on that. So, thanks, Russ. Mike, um, I think I've heard you ask this question before. So I, if I need to give you credit for it, and then uh, apologize for how hard of a question it is. Oh. <laughs> so you've been diagnosed since 2006, right? Mm-hmm. What <sighs> keeps you hopeful today? Live for today. I live so I try to live every day and enjoy every day. I learned a long time ago that I've talked with my therapist that I can control my happiness. I can't let anybody else control the happiness. So I think I used to blame my my wife for me not being happy. And she blamed me for her not being happy. It got ugly for a while. Then I realized that. I can control that. I can grow my happiness. No wrong, we can be happy. Realize that, and it's been much better ever since. Have you made a um, you know, um, substantial amount of like sacrifices? Uh, can you name any things that you made a sacrifice to make things actually made things better overall? What do you mean? I mean, I'm trying. What kind of sacrifice? oh, like you know, like just changing maybe your act. It could be anything. You know, changing your activities. Or, you know, compromising something with your wife, you know, on, on things, your own responsibilities, what, whatever it might be, you know. I think a lot of us go through some sort of sacrifice and give and take to keep us, uh, keep things running smoothly. So I don't know if there's anything you could think of in that area. Off the top of my head, not really. I mean, the sacrifice I make, I had to sacrifice my job back in 2016. Because he called me to the office and he told me, Mike, it's time for you to take disability. I didn't want to, but they would have closed down the division if I stuck with it. That was tough yeah. to deal with, but I got through it like everything else. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, the choices we got to make sometimes. It's tough. 
Mike, what's something people don't know about you? I'm a nerd. <laughs> no, we knew that. Wait, you just told <laughs> us you were a cool guy. <laughs> to people at MIT, I was. Overall, I'm a nerd. I'm a big numbers guy. I love numbers. Like you, Ned. Yeah. He's played this nerdy game called Stratomatic Baseball. Great game. Oh, I remember Stratomatic. No. Oh, you yeah. Wonder. <laughs> I used to love that game. I was first kid in my block to figure out a pitch of ERA. I used to build my team based on walks, hits, per, how many walks and hits a person had, how was your on base percentage. And I used to break down the pitch statistics as well. How many hits they gave up, how many walks they gave up. And their ERA didn't mean anything to me. It was how many walks and hits did they give up. That's where I'm a nerd. Yeah, you remember far more details about the game than I do. <laughs> I used to play a game of I didn't want anyone to play with myself, play with me because I'm playing it alone. Solitaire <laughs> Stratomatic. I love it. <laughs> I used to play a game for hours. Hey, hey Mike, are there are there really three people that you haven't interviewed who would be on your 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 hit list that you you'd love to be able to interview? What what question? Would you ask each of the each of the three? That's that's a good question. I don't know who on interview. I've interviewed. I haven't interviewed Kim yet. We see Michael J. Fox. I'd love to ask him. Love to interview Michael J. Fox. I guess I'd ask him. I guess I'd ask him. Ask him if the future is what he expected. It's a good question. Thanks, Nate. <laughs> oh, you're my back, don't you? <laughs> that's. Michael J. Fox, Muhammad Ali was love. I loved to interview him because he's just the greatest fighter of all time. I also like to interview maybe Alan Alda. Yeah. First he came out saying Parkinson was not that bad. I don't think how tough it is now compared to when he first came out with it. That's a pretty good lineup. What's that? That's a pretty good lineup. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. So was this as hard as you thought it'd be, Mike? That's well, kind of fun. Just goofing off, talking about, talking about things I've done, and a lot of fun. Good group of people, too. Thank you for tuning in to the Motivation Station. To learn more about Motivation Foundation, visit motivationfoundation.org. Again, motivationfoundation.org. Thanks again for tuning in. Here's some questions from our group. So it, it, I kind of step back out of the out of the role of uh, facilitator with this, but I'll I'll step back in here, and um, I, I'm sure that people have had questions on their mind that you're like, eh, I'm not sure if I'm going to ask that, but now is the time we're winding down the throw out those questions, the last minute questions that you want to ask Mike. If there's anything that you've been curious about over the years while listening to this dude? Now's your chance. Sounds Mike, cool. Good kick. Mike, you talked about your work a couple of times as as we've talked here and. Again, I haven't known you that long and I haven't heard you talk about your work before and your eyes actually light up. You can tell that you liked what you did, if not loved what you did. And also I can tell that you were very good at what you did, did just the way you talk about forming those relationships and how important that was in connecting with people in, in your job. And then you were, you just mentioned about the conversation that led to you going on to disability and that mm-hmm. you weren't quite ready for that at the time. I can certainly relate to that as as many of us can. Um, I think a lot of us were 
dedicated to a career and that got cut short. Uh, for me, that was a pretty big struggle and a l- little bit of an identity crisis. Did you go through anything like that? A huge identity crisis. Yeah. I, I define myself by, by my work. Everybody's got, I mean, everyone in the company knew who I was. I used to go to Ohio. So when I met for they were, you, I'm down the hallway. They're like, you know, I know who they were, but they knew of me already. I was well known in the business. I did well in it. It stinks not being able to work anymore. I, yeah. It's not fun, but that's why I said the podcast. It's another reason why I said the podcast. Right. Can, so you're not, not only I'm, dealing with the I'm frustration sorry, of being diagnosed with Parkinson's, but then you're also hit with the other side of it is you you have this great career that you feel like has been taken away from you. So it's a it's a double whammy there. For sure. It's just one more way that Parkinson's takes control away from you. I had plans of becoming the CEO of the company. I mean, I was manager of the sales staff and became manager of the recruiting staff. Then they sold it to a group. I wasn't ready for that either because I panicked and paranoid. All the anxiety, everything kicked in at once, and I lost it for a little bit. Jumped around for a couple of different companies. I'd never done that before. I stuck with one company. I left some people angry at me, but I've kept some good friends too. So looking at the faces in this group, I can see, you know, I know myself, I'm only in this group because Mike, uh, I was on your show and um, that that brought me into a lot of uh, spaces online where Ned was a part of that, Kim was a part of that. Um, I think just about everybody here can point to Mike Qualia as an impactful part of their journey with Parkinson's and your show is living well starts here. Right. And I think for so many of us, we could trace back the point where we really started living well, and it did start there with you. And on behalf of all of us, thank you so much. And regardless of, you know, the things that you've been through, I hope you understand that your input into the community is one that is huge. And it's, it's not just huge. It's impactful for, for so many people and it keeps going. I mean, look look at what we're doing here. You brought you brought so many people together that have created a cool group that we get to do these podcasts on. You've got your podcast that folks like um Andrea, she didn't even know about Darby until she heard her on your podcast. And now they're, you know, she's she's such a great client for Darby. And we can keep going down the line. Your impact is going to live on way longer than Mike Q will be standing. And I hope you understand that. And that's why we wanted to bring you on here and give you this hour to talk about that. You're a special guy, Mike, and we love you. Thanks, and love you guys too. I'm going to give you a big hug too, Mike, in Barcelona in a few weeks. Can't wait to hang with you. Yep. Same here. Anybody else going to Barcelona? I'm on the fence. I think I'm going to lean towards going though. Good. I'll see you down there. We'll catch dinner somewhere. That'd be great. You have been listening to the Motivation Station. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time.